<laughs> no, though, that's why. That's why I want to talk about it. Yeah, definitely. No, you should listen to the podcast today. Then, <laughs> while you're in there, uh, put your headphones on this time. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's get started here. I like the way the levels are bopping, so keep them right there. And I'll give you the three S's. I'll give you the countdown. You give me the music. I'll give you a podcast. That's uh, been working so far, right? Let's uh, don't uh, don't break. What is it? Don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Okay, <clears throat> then let's not fix it. Let's just make sure it doesn't break. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> three S's, star, smile, strong. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. But as you know, we ask for a little more than just listening. We need your blood, sweat, and tears. So get out there. Tell your friends. Tell your family, tell anybody that you know who listens to podcasts that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and your devotion are much, much appreciated, and of course, we're getting close to those holidays, so you never know what you just might find in your stocking if you get out there and do that. Also, if you like what you hear, don't forget, go to WGNRadio.com, hit the podcast section. Hit the prompt for this podcast, and you will find all previous podcasts dating back almost five years, at least five years. We started in May of 2016. There's 286 episodes just sitting there waiting for your ears to binge on a plethora of podcasts. So check them out to see where we've been. So you can be prepared for where we're going. And where we're going right now is episode 287. So this week is Thanksgiving week. This podcast will be posted on Monday, the 22nd of November. And uh, so Thanksgiving is just a few days away. Time to give thanks. Time to uh, stuff yourself with uh, holiday cheer and your uh, the bounty of your family as well, right? And uh, just be thankful for things. If you're a music fan, on Thanksgiving 2021, especially if you're a Beatles fan, on Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving weekend of 2021, you have much, 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 to be thankful for. You've heard of Beetlefest, the gathering of Beetle fans from all around the world. They have one here in Chicago. I believe they have one in New York every year. And uh, they've been going on for decades, run by a couple of diehard fans and now their family. And it, uh, I have been to a few of them here in Chicago. 
they're always fun. It's always fun to find people that uh, share an interest with you, especially if it's more than just a passing interest. And um, I'm certainly a, a, a major Beatle fan and uh, a major fan of, um, of John Lennon. So I've, I've always been moved to, uh, to go to Beatle Fest and <clears throat> excuse me, see what they've got uh, there in terms of merchandise and, uh, and other things and see people speak and some people from the past and, uh, and really just commute, commune, if you will, with, uh, with those who share an obsession or at least a passion, I guess we can call it. So yeah, they 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 legally had to change the name of Beetle Fest. I'm not sure why. Now it's the Festival for Beetle Fans or something. <laughs> I don't know what the legal ramifications were, but somewhere down the road, uh, I believe the Beatles organization has got in touch with these folks and said, "Look, we like what you're doing, but there's also some legal, uh, you know." hiccup i'm not sure what that was but they have changed it so it's still around the feet the fest for beetle fans but this year in 2021 on thanksgiving a holiday based around eating it's not beetle fest in 2021 this thanksgiving it'll be a beetle feast i can't believe they haven't coined that yet am i the first one to say that this week, on Thanksgiving evening, November 25th, and then the next two nights, the 26th and 27th, on Disney+, Plus, the streaming service, an event that uh, Beatle fans not only have been waiting for over the last couple of years, but really, in many ways, Beatle fans, and, and even music fans, pop culture fans, have maybe been waiting for this for the last 50 years. Yeah, 5-0. Because we're finally going to get a chance to see some, just when you thought at this point, after how many years, I mean, the Beatles broke up in 1970, right? So that's 51 years later. You think that everything that the Beatles have done has, is, is, has been released one way or the other whether it's been an official release or a bootleg release uh it's it's out i mean how i mean it's been 50 years what could i mean they only were together you know for 7 years as they were the beatles that we knew them from say 63 when they hit in um, you know in england and then 64 here and they were together certainly in you know in like what 1960 61 so they were together for for quite a while, but uh, they really were a pop culture entity in the mid to early 60s. So you'd think in that six or seven years when they were major public figures, what they what they created would it's all it, everything's been out. Well, um, we don't know uh, if when you when you see this. 55, more than 55 hours of previously unseen footage of the Beatles together in 1969, uh, still, uh, you know, in their 20s, late 20s, just about to reach 30. Ringo was probably 30. Um, but, uh, and sadly, at the brink of their breakup, 
55 hours of footage never seen before shot during the originally titled Get Back Sessions, which later became the Let It Be album, and then the film. And while the film did use footage from the filming of the recording sessions of the Beatles recording an album, it was only a couple hours, and a lot of footage was left on the cutting room floor. Well, for the first time, that cutting room floor has been swept up. And while this footage has been sitting in a vault somewhere, it will now be shown for the first time to the public. And what a revelation it will be. Not only is it um, important just to have this unseen footage of perhaps the most popular band in the history of music, and that's not an over-exaggeration, but also for what it apparently reveals and shows us for the first time. A little history here. Uh, After the Beatles had put out Sgt. Pepper in 67, they decided to, to try a little more of an organic album because that album, Sgt. Pepper, was so heavily produced with sound effects and different gizmos and, and, and different processes and, and different gimmicks and tricks and different sounds and backward recordings and, and the whole thing that uh, they wanted to, to sort of uh, get a more organic sound. And out of that came uh, <laughs> uh, almost a, just a, a flow of, of new material from all the Beatles. Uh, so much so that it became a double album called The Beatles, or it's been dubbed The White Album because the cover of the album was all white. And after that, uh, they were still in a, a mood of wanting to get back to their roots. And um, they had been growing up and maturing and looking... Uh, behind their shoulder, perhaps, for the first time. You know, don't forget, they hadn't toured now in, in two and a half years. They quit touring in 1966 because the live shows just became chaotic girls screaming and nobody was really listening to what they were doing on the stage. And so they became a studio band and they were looking to become creative and 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 try new things musically within themselves and push the envelope for the music business in general and what was possible technology-wise. And they certainly did that with Sgt. Pepper. But then at the same time, um, I know John Lennon wanted to scale things back a little. And as I said, don't forget, the Beatles really did give birth to the rock and roll renaissance of uh, the mid-'60s. Certainly Elvis and Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis and Fats Domino and Chuck Berry, and many others helped usher in rock and roll in the 50s. But like many musical uh, genres, uh, especially uh, many times, they were fads, and rock and roll was viewed as a fad. And while rock and roll certainly uh, had its heyday from, say, 1955 through 1960, 
with Elvis getting inducted in the army with the death of Buddy Holly, the song let it or, uh, American Pie certainly uh, traces the death of Buddy Holly and the uh, the time before the time after that. Um, rock and roll did die. Pop music sort of took over, and the teeny boppers and the heartthrobs like Fabian and Frankie Avalon and and others became the big uh, you know kind of pop stars of the day and rock and roll kind of took a back seat to that music and even when elvis came back when he came back he became a movie star and his, his music was not as rough and edgy and blues based and and rock and roll it was more pop oriented and then the beatles came literally out of nowhere and shook up the world and not only shook up the 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 music world and the culture ultimately but they they really gave birth to a musical renaissance. And so by 1968 or 69, they had they had they had influenced a world of bands. And while they were still the preeminent band, there were a lot of really good bands out there uh as competition or as peers, but the Beatles certainly were still number one, but there were a lot of other bands fighting for that title. The Rolling Stones, The Who, The Kinks. And by 1969, you know, we had uh, Led Zeppelin and, and a whole different kind of sound and the, and the birth of, of, heavy me- of heavy metal and hard rock. And, of course, the Beach Boys were still around and, um, and were always, a, you know, a, a, a competitive uh, influence on the Beatles. And so even at that point, as big and as influential and as undisputed champs as they were uh, internally, individually as a group, they may have been feeling like they maybe weren't number one anymore, at least internally. You know, they hadn't toured in a long time. They hadn't played in front of people. They were just amongst themselves recording. And as I said, you know, they're looking at the charts and people are, are emerging and uh, every creative person, no, no matter how achieved they are, always has some insecurity and self-doubt. And so it seems like at this time, the Beatles had that. Add to this internal uh, clock that might have been ticking or lack of confidence, there was also some, uh, you know, personality and, and professional problems between the band. Legal squabbles. Sadly, you could, you know... By 1969, it was it, it did look as if the Beatles were were going to break up and and but if you look back, I always contend that if you look at the Beatles' history, the the real beginning of the end of the Beatles was not in 1969 when there were these internal squabbles and and John Lennon and Yoko Ono were an entity and John's drug use was getting worse and there was a lot of. Uh, as I said, internal squabbles about their financials and, the, and their management. And that, to me, is really the, the key of this whole story, really. In 1969, that was the aftermath. But the real flashpoint in the Beatles' history of when things began to shake in a bad way for them um, was the death of Brian Epstein and uh, their manager, and who really helped cultivate them and, and took them to the next level, took them from a little bar band into world sensations. He was very, very shrewd businessman, but at the same time he was 
a fan of the Beatles, and he was a father figure and a brother figure and a protector figure, and somebody that could, could as their manager, was a few years older than them, and someone that, that each of them could go to if they had a problem with someone else in the band or a problem that was going on, instead of taking it to that person and cre- in the band themselves and creating maybe some anim- animosity and, and tension, they would go to Brian Epstein to say, hey, you know, this is going on or this is what I'm thinking, blah, blah, blah. And it was Brian's job as their manager and as their friend and as their mentor and as their guide um, to either solve the problem for them, hear the problem, uh, you know, maybe take their whatever gripe was to the, the band or to another member, but be the mediator so that it wasn't person, you know, person to person insults or a problem with this. There was that, that, that middleman who helped soften it. And so you cannot underestimate the role that Brian Epstein played for the, the Beatles because he really was so many things, father figure, brother figure, mediator, uh, you know, uh, financial guy as well as creative thinker visionary to what to do for the band and when he passed away of a drug overdose in 1967 it was a shock he was a young guy in his early 30s uh certainly he wasn't ill or anything so the, the idea that he would suddenly die just shook them both as in you know both as a band as an entity that he had helped create and and nurture and 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 help uh, elevate but also as people, personally, they lost a, a confidant, and they they really lost the glue that was keeping them together. One reason that they were probably together when they had such crazy fame, because we've seen how fame destroys many bands and any kind of, of entertainer, because the, 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 the just the, 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 the enormity of it. And the access and and the money and and all the other temptations, whatever you want to call it, um, the Beatles still remained <clears throat> do, throughout this ridiculous success they had from the first minute that they landed at JFK in New York um, on February seventh, nineteen sixty four. But the one reason that they continued to put out great music and continued to be a a major force in the culture. I believe was because they had Brian Epstein there to be that middle person, to be that glue, to keep the focus on it and keep the, the, the train moving. And when he passed away, it not only shook them personally, but it it shook them as a band and as an entity, because now suddenly they didn't have that person to go to. And so they decided, then they went, instead of having a group, they went to people that, counseled them individually and when they looked to uh you know replace their management right off the bat there were disagreements paul wanted uh one of his in-laws one of uh, linda's his wife linda's uh, brothers because he was a financial guy on the other side john wanted a guy named alan klein who was very well known in the business world had worked with um the rolling stones and while he had a reputation for being a, a, a very brash businessman, um, that's what John was leaning toward. And ultimately, it seemed like Ringo and George sided with John because they looked at Paul and said, well, there could be a little nepotism here. I mean, you're, you know, if we're going to deal as a band, you've got one of your in-laws. Who is he going to favor in any kind of a disagreement? So 
there was that going on after the the death of um, of Brian Epstein, and then, as I said before, now you know they they were the lovable lads from Liverpool, the the mop tops, the Fab Four, when we first saw them in their early to mid twenties. But by nineteen sixty nine, nineteen sixty eight, now they were at the end of their twenties and, and approaching their thirties, and they were now. Uh, you know, in, involved in marriages or relationships, and and they were defining themselves. They were growing up together in those early days, the Beatles, and now with a little fame and and money and uh, exposure to the world in ways that they never had before, they were finally growing up and maturing. And uh, they 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 had personal interests as well as the band's interests. Whereas before, it used to be a hundred percent the band. And obviously, at this time, John had met and fall and fell in love with Yoko Ono, and that was a very uh, intense relationship. At the same time, he was also getting deeper into drug use, like heroin, and so his state was a little altered. He was distracted with his love affair, and so the Beatles weren't really the, the his main priority anymore. Meanwhile, you had Paul McCartney, who I would always I've always said, uh, you know. I don't care who you think you are. If you're a Beatle fan, there's no greater Beatle fan in the world than Paul McCartney. <laughs> Paul McCartney was in the band, but he was also the the band's biggest fan and still is. And so he was, you know, always a very driven, ambitious, organized kind of visionary guy. And he always was pushing the Beatles. We got to record. We got to, we got to put, write some more songs. We got to put an album out. We got to do this. While the other guys were kind of, they were still committed, certainly, but they were also in looking w- within themselves. George Harrison became very spiritual. Ringo, um, you know, had a, had a family. You know, John, as I said, had this very intense relationship with Yoko Ono. At the same time, he had a wife and a son from a previous marriage. So his his private life was very complex, and he was a complex character. And as and as and as as. I guess, I don't know, loving and as espousing, uh, you know, humanity and thoughts of, uh, you know, and, and, and worked for, you know, the anti-war movement and things like this. He was a very, he was a very complex guy and he could be very mean. He had a very difficult upbringing, John Lennon. His father left it when he was a little kid, as a baby. His mother abandoned him to some extent. He, for a while, he didn't even know that his mother was his mother. And he went to live with his uh, with his aunt, and only in his teens did he wind up finally uh, having a reunion with his mom. And then she got killed in a car accident. So he had a very very tough upbringing and a very kind of tough life. And um, he could be the most lovable, funny guy in the world, but a very mean and caustic kind of guy as well. So you had a lot of emotion, you had a lot of strong personalities all involved here and now they are and 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 there's business kind of problems going on too in the midst of that you they are the biggest band in the world and they're going to try to put an album out (laughs) and it was in that atmosphere where let it be the album was being made in 1969 because they were kind of looking over their shoulder, maybe feeling a little insecure, they wanted to really come back in a big way. And the idea 
put forth by Paul McCartney was we really need to get back to our roots. They've been, they tried to do that a little with the White Album, but they really wanted to strip all things away and just, and just the four of them in a very organic sounding album. They didn't even have George Martin producing full time. He participated to some extent at the beginning, but he wasn't there really hands on. They brought in another producer named Glenn Johns for this album who had made, uh, Quite a few albums at that time, very popular, including work with The Who, most notably. And they wanted this very kind of organic throwback album to sort of regain that spark that they had back in 1962 and 63 and 64. But what you find out is you really can't go back. They, 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 had, they had grown too much. They had experienced too much. But they, that was their creative vision, whether it was naive or not, whether it was possible or not. That's what they wanted. At the same time, they wanted to, they were, as I said, they wanted to make a big splash. Everything the Beatles did at that time was a big deal. And, and so what was, how could they continue to push the envelope? Well, how about letting the fans see what it was like to be in the recording sessions in the recording studio when the Beatles made an album? That was the idea. Not only was this going to be a stripped-down album that they were going to start from scratch, but they were going to film the actual creative process to let the people see behind the scenes what it was like when the Beatles got together to make music. Once again, maybe a very high-minded idea. In reality, not so sure if it, it was a good idea. But that was the, the, the course they took. And then they even thought about, as, the, as this project uh, would, would continue, to then record the album, film the recording, and then perform live, which they hadn't done since 1966. So this was a very ambitious project, a project to really make a, make a big splash again and, and put the prominence back on them to, once again, push the envelope, do something different and uh, and reestablish themselves as the main band in the world. No one doubted that they were, but as I said, they were beginning to have a lot more people on their on their on their heels. So you've got no songs written. The stress of of of, of creating a new album is enough. Then you're going to have it filmed. So now people are going to be self-conscious and, and are they going to be themselves on film? Are they going to be always be aware of that? At the same time, you've got this personality clash going on with John and Yoko, this entity. John wanted Yoko in the sessions. He wanted him with her at all times. So uh, there was a little conflict there and a little tension there. You know, Instead of the four Beatles, there was the four Beatles and Yoko. So now there was tension there. Add to the tensions they were having behind the scenes about their management and their finances added to that. And it was, it was quite a cauldron of, um, <laughs> of, of conflicting emotions and tensions. And amidst all that, they're supposed to create. So I'm not sure how naive they th that was, uh, what a good plan it was, but that was the plan. And thus, that was the impetus for what initially was going to be called Get Back. And obviously, they they wrote a song, Get Back, you know, Get Back to Where You Once Belong. Um, but the album was going to be called Get Back. And the whole idea was to get back to the way they were, to those old days, to that that more innocent um, and that uh, that more rebellious rock and roll kind of attitude and sound and the purity of it. Um, but 
it sounds good on paper, but not sure if you can really if you really can do that. And they brought in a new, as I said, a new producer, and they did record and lay down the initial tracks for an album that did follow that vision. But when it was done, they weren't happy with it. They realized, you know what, you really can't go back. Now, while the Let It Be album does have a lot of songs that uh, that people know, uh, you know, and 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 are among their biggest hits, uh, that initial burst of songs just wasn't doing it for them. So then they brought in the a new producer who was of great success and notoriety, Phil Spector, who with his wall of sound, worked with the Ronettes and the Righteous Brothers and really was the the high-named producer in music. But he was also someone who did elevate music and did have layers of sound. He he wasn't the guy to bring in to have a stripped-down organic album, just the opposite. His wall of sound was just that. That's why it was called the wall of sound. Because he had everything playing. He had layers of guitars and and strings and chimes and tambourines and piano. I mean, you name it. That was the wall of sound. So it was a, more contradiction. And in the midst of this, you're recording this album. They're going to do it in like three weeks. Very ambitious. And then have this live show to play these new songs. And you've got cameras filming. And you've got all these personal problems. Well, inevitably, the personality conflicts leaked into the recording session. Now, you really can't fault the director of the film, Michael Lindsay Hogg, because if you're a filmmaker who's trying to make a compelling film and you're seeing conflict, well, hey, that's interesting. That's where the camera goes. Don't forget, these are the lovable lads from Liverpool, but we're finding in the, in, that at this point in their lives or in, 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 this, in this environment of a recording studio, they're not the lovable lads like they were in A Hard Day's Night. They are angry and bickering. For a while, George Harrison quit the band during these sessions. So there was a lot of conflict going on, and so when this footage was shot of recording the album, when it came to editing, the narrative was clear that if you're going to try to make a compelling statement, it's, it's the tension that's going on here that is the story. And that was basically the theme of the Let It Be film. Now, historically, too, a little interesting footnote, The Let It Be album was the last album the Beatles released, but it wasn't the last album they recorded. The last album they recorded was Abbey Road, but that came out and was released before Let It Be. The Let It Be sessions were so contentious, they were so disappointing, and then they bring in Phil Spector, and he is overdubbing and doing things and holding the tapes hostage and, 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 and so much. And then the, the band is beginning, the financials and, the, and these, the, the, the bickering is getting worse. And so, uh, you know, that, that album was delayed 
and it was such a, a, a negative experience for the band that Paul got everyone together, as he would be, biggest Beatle fan there is, and said, let's record one last album. I think they realized the writing on the wall, that, that they, they, as a band, they were going to break up. And so the thought was, let's make one more album like we used to. And they brought George Martin back, and they made Abbey Road, which arguably may be their best album. So ironically, while Let It Be is the last album released, and the film shows the breakup of the Beatles, supposedly, in reality, that album did not break them up because they made another album after that, and it wasn't a contentious album. It wasn't a disappointing album. It was one of their best albums. So the last album they really made together was among their best. And so you can argue that perhaps the Let It Be album was a hiccup in the road. It was a, it was a good idea on paper that, 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 that didn't work out in reality. But when they, they did come back together, they did make that magic again. But Let It Be is the final coda for the Beatles because it was the last album released. And then they broke up soon after that. And then you have this film... Because you wouldn't really, if without the film, you would, you would just say you would kind of be disappointed in the album to some extent, even though it has hits, like I said, Long and Winding Road and Let It Be and uh, The Two of Us and Across the Universe. I mean, there's some major Beatles songs on Let It Be, but there's also that Phil Spector sound. In fact, Paul McCartney uh, legendarily was very unhappy with Phil Spector's inclusion in the project and him putting all his strings and all his wall of sound on things. And he hated the, 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 the harp and the, and the orchestra on the long and winding road so much so that in 2003, the Beatles released, let it be naked was the name of the album. And it was the stripped down versions that Paul felt should have been done at the begin side without all the Phil Spector overdubs and, and enhancements. So that was still bugging him, you know, 20 years, 30 years later, <laughs> almost 35 years later. So the album was mired in a, just a lot of controversy and conflict and tension and stress. And, and, it, and it comes as they're breaking up. And then this film personifies it and shows this acrimony between them as they're uh, recording it, even though in reality they made Abbey Road and made a great album as their final recording together. So Ab, so Let It Be is, is always this, this kind of bastard child in the, in the, in the Beatles uh, catalog because it's, the last album, but it really isn't the last album. It's a good album, but it's not a great album. There's some well-known great songs of theirs, but as an album, it doesn't really hold up. And then you have this film, which shows you, point blank, the Beatles not getting along and shooting dirty looks at one another and saying things. And it was a very sad wave for the Beatles to end when you consider the joy 
that they brought the world in 1964 to see only just five years later to see them, you know, six years later to see them break up uh, in, in, in a way that is not befitting of the greatest band in the world and a band that meant so much to so many people. When the film came out, the Beatles had actually just broken up officially. You let it be a, a film came out in um, in May of 1970, and Paul McCartney had put out his solo album and basically announced to the world that the Beatles had broken up, even though apparently there was they were officially broken up. And John Lennon came to the band. Paul has recently said this, and there has always been stories about this. But Paul now has confirmed the story that uh, that John had broken the Beatles up in 1969. But because they still had this Let It Be project to release, their manager, Alan Klein, John did win that fight, at least <laughs> in a temporary way, uh, wanted them to be quiet about it because they still had this other album and movie to put out. But after a while, Paul was getting tired of just pretending, and he put this, this solo album out and basically announced that, he, that the Beatles had broken up. And that's where the acrimony really started then for the rest of their lives, because the Beatles really are John Lennon's band. They were John Lennon's band. Paul McCartney may have been the biggest Beatle fan, but it was John Lennon's band. John Lennon started the Quarrymen. And John Lennon asked Paul McCartney to join his band. And then George Harrison was a friend of Paul McCartney's, and he joined the band. And later, Ringo had been a popular drummer in the Liverpool music scene and joined the band when they were making a a drummer change from Pete Best. But the Beatles are John Lennon's band, and he always had an ownership of it. Paul may have loved the Beatles, but John felt that he owned the Beatles. It was his and he loved the Beatles as much as anyone else, but I, I, he felt that no one's going to break up the band but me. So when Paul kind of jumped the gun and said they were broken up, even though they all decided they were not going to say anything until the Let It Be album came out, well, then I think that's where the acrimony started, and that's where John got very down on the whole Beatles concept and, and, and everything about it for many, many years. The revelation for Beatle fans this week is that the other narrative that was never shown out of this Let It Be session will finally, 50 years later, be seen. And for many years, the surviving Beatles, especially now Paul and Ringo, have always said that the Let It Be sessions were not as contentious and not as sour and not as mean and tension-filled as this film projects. It was actually, we remember laughing and having fun. And a lot of people said, well, sure, you say that now in retrospect because you, you know, look at, but look at this movie. Well, this footage that was never seen seems to back up Paul and Ringo's memory of that. As I said before, you can't fault the director at the time for going with the footage that told this this compelling narrative of the greatest band in the world breaking up. But now, in retrospect, 50 years later, as we look back at this and the legacy is being built, this is the perfect time to really tell the whole story. So a few years ago, in 2019, Peter Jackson, from the Lord of the Rings fame, 
was meeting with the the Beatles and the Apple people about a project, and I'm not sure how the Let It Be film came up, but somehow Jackson brought it up and was talking about it and was informed that there were almost 60 hours of unseen footage sitting there just waiting. And so he said, I'd love to see that. So he spent a couple of days and went through almost all the footage and said, there's another story here that needs to be told in the Beatles history that the original Let It Be a movie never did. And so it was up to him to re-edit all this new unseen footage. So what a great... Uh, what a great opportunity to see the Beatles at work and not just a negative side of them, but to see this other side that Paul and Ringo had always been talking about. And just from a pure curiosity perspective, some new material about the Beatles that we thought everything would be out there, but here was something new. So a great opportunity if you're a music fan, if you're a history fan, especially if you're a Beatle fan, to see this unseen footage. You thought everything was out there? Well, here was 60 hours of something that wasn't seen before. So the plan was to put out an, a revised version. They're going to use the original title now rather than Let It Be, which grew out of the, the, the song that was later written, but the original title of Get Back. So the Beatles' Get Back is now ready to be seen by the public for the first time. It was originally going to be released theatrically as just a standalone film, just like the first one was. But now with this new re-edited footage, or this unseen footage, completely re-edited, to tell this other story. And it was going to come out in September of 2020. Well, of course, COVID comes along and closes theaters for most of, of 2020 and delay the project. Well, as you know, if Peter Jackson has some extra time on his hands, <laughs> he's not one that edits very well in terms of leaving things out. I mean, those <laughs> those Lord of the Rings movies are pretty much, what, nine and a half hours in three movies, right? That's you know more than three hours for each movie. I think it's even more than that. It might be 11 hours, or who knows what it is. So he, he's certainly liberal when it comes to, if there's a question of leaving something in or taking it out, he leaves it in. And so with an extra year to continue to look at this footage and re-edit it and reconsider it, and how, in fact, that we're still, even at this point, really not going back to theaters in major ways, the decision was not to release it to theaters, but instead, with the extra time, he was able to fashion even more of the, uh, of the footage. And so now what would, probably would have been a, maybe a two-and-a-half-hour film standalone film at the theaters is now a three-part six-hour lord of beatles lord of the rings right <laughs> three-part six-hour documentary called you know get back that will be shown three consecutive nights starting on thanksgiving thursday friday and saturday on disney plus which will, from all intents and from what we've seen in uh, early clips, will show the other side. Yes, there will still be those moments of tension and of stress and of dislike, but apparently from what Peter Jackson has said and from the 
trailers and coming attractions that they have released, you are also seeing more of the lovable lads of Liverpool. Apparently, those sessions were all not dour. They were all not tension-filled. They were all not filled with hate. They were actually filled with collaboration and laughter and love. And that was the side that we had never seen. So this gives the Let It Be project a completely new place, not only in itself, but in the history of the Beatles. Because that was always a story that, well, and then let it be, we see the Beatles break up and they hated each other. But that's really not the case. Yes, they did break up, but it wasn't that album that broke them up. Because I said before, they wound up and recorded another one after that, which was one of their best, Abbey Road. But a chance to see the Beatles before, the, you know, in, the, in their now their late 20s, they're more mature. They're more individualized as people. They're more influenced by different things and different sounds and different philosophies. They're becoming their own person. And at the same time, they're trying to save this entity that they do have a love for, that they, they do have a love for the band and each other. But at the same time, they're also struggling with who they are and being who they are and having an identity outside of the Beatles. You know, on, on John Lennon's um, first solo album, the Plastic Ono Band, he says, I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in me, Yoko and me. And that's reality. So Beatle, the Beatles were, were such a daunting thing at times that you could see why, if you were an artist, they, were, they wanted to, to break that. But at the same time, when the four of them got together, as, as we're going to see, and I haven't seen this yet, uh, nobody has really, um, you know, we will get to see them still collaborating and being the Fab Four and being the Beatles. And so this is a great revelation for, for anyone uh, who is a Beatle fan. So I would suggest if you have Disney Plus, you be by a television this uh, weekend. If you don't, I suggest you find a friend who has Disney Plus and find a way to get to their house to watch this because this is, this is really a piece of, of major history, and, and not just as a Beatle fan, but if you're a music fan or a history fan. The Beatles were that big, and this is a snapshot in time in a, in a, in a crucial moment, not only in in the history of the band, but in the history of our times. This is taking place in 1969. The, the, the Vietnam War is still going on, and, and so much of the hope of changing the world and the hippie movement of the, of the mid-60s, and especially 67, has been replaced with a lot of, um, uh, of uh, disappointment. That optimism of just two years ago is gone, and that's reflected here. So this is a historical document. It's the end of, an, of, of, of a decade, a new decade going to start. What will that decade be? What, what would the Beatles be like in the 70s? So a very interesting, flat, as I said before, snapshot in time, not just if you're a Beatle fan or a music fan. So I would definitely suggest that you, um, you, know, you take a look at this for, for many reasons. And now, of course... Uh, the the other aspect of it is we have to deal with reality in that 
We've lost two Beatles already at a relatively young ages. Sadly, John Lennon was assassinated at age 40, 41 years ago. And then uh, George Harrison has been gone now for 20 years. And uh, almost 20 years. And he was, what, in his, what, oh, 57, 58 years old? So we've got Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Ringo is 81. Paul is 79. The fact is, in the next 10 years, we may not have any living Beatles anymore. So while we look at this film, which will be nostalgic, and which I, Peter Jackson promises to show um, the, the, the Beatles uh, in a new way, especially the way we uh, understood them at this time, they're going, you're going to see them creative and, 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 and getting along with one another and joking and, and collaborating, uh, not just disliking one another, which the, which the original Let It Be album or Let It Be film portrayed. In fact, I, I've heard a story that um, when the original film came out at the theaters, um, it was only about a month or so after the band had officially broken up, and certainly the wound was still fresh from Paul saying that the band was broken up, and John was very upset about that. Um, but apparently, John and Yoko and Jan Wenner and his wife at the time went to see the film in, the, in an afternoon at a theater in New York. And apparently, after watching that film, the original Let It Be, they said they all came out crying because it was a, it was really a sad story to see that that would be the last memory of the Beatles. And so while the last several decades, the Beatles have done an excellent job of reintroducing themselves to new generations and establishing and laying out their legacy for the next hundred years and future generations, they have certainly elevated the entire Beatles persona and the Beatles importance in a very impressive way. People don't understand this. They don't even realize this. But in the 80s, it, the Beatles were not very popular at all. You did not hear Beatle music in the 80s. It was only in about the last 20 years when the Beatles, as a, as a group, they put out this album of their number one songs and reintroduced themselves to a younger generation. But the Beatles have not been consistently always popular. In the seventy and the eighties and in the nineties, they really weren't until about ninety five when they put out their anthology um, documentary. When the, the surviving members got together, and they also recorded a, a song uh, that John Lennon had written, a demo that they refashioned. So it's only been maybe the last twenty twenty five years where suddenly the legacy and the importance has been elevated and has been more appreciated. And so what I'm trying to say is we need to appreciate the Beatles that we have still because, God willing, they'll be around for a while, but they're not going to be around forever. And so we should relish and celebrate them because there will be a time in the next five, you know, 10 years or so, at very least, where we may not have any more surviving Beatles. And while Ringo has, has continued to tour and, uh, you know, he continues to be a very peace and, you know, advocate and things like that, certainly Paul McCartney was one half of perhaps the greatest songwriting team in the history of music. And so 
and even Ringo acquiesces to Paul's place in the Beatles history. And Paul being, as I said before, the world's biggest Beatle fan, Paul is doing what he can to make sure that the legacy of the Beatles is known and felt and appreciated. And he's trying to tell it as I think as, as honest as possible, but we are all subjective. We are all not a hundred percent objective. And so it's still seen through his eyes and his memories but I think he's trying to be fair to everybody, and he's been trying to be fair to John because John has not been able to say anything about the Beatles for the last 40 years. And as I said before, John was a very complex guy. But Paul is does have the opportunity and is taking the opportunity now to sort of write the history of the Beatles and at least put things out there, his memories... Um, and his take on it, as well as projects like the reissuing of, of the, some of the albums over the last several years, these big box sets with all the outtakes and all the studio banter and, and, and remixes of Sgt. Pepper and Abbey Road and the White Album, and now Let It Be, and now this new film, The Get Back Sessions. But Paul, you know, he's taking advantage of that. Paul has been all over the place the last couple of years. He put out a solo album during the lockdown, which became number one. Uh, He had a group of today's artists record that album and and called it McCartney 3, which is the name of the original album, uh, Reimagined. He just inducted the Foo Fighters into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's got a new book out. That is a quasi autobiography talking about the lyrics that he writ- that he wrote and parts of his life and his memories and writing each of those songs. It's a two. It's a huge nine hundred page two volume set called the lyrics. Um, and now we've got the get back uh, session. So um, you know he's been very busy to try to get that out. I think he's beginning to to see his mortality. There's also a really great documentary. Uh, that was on Hulu in the summer with Rick Rubin, who is one of the the more um, noted pro- musical producers. He's worked with the Beastie Boys, but also he was probably best known for working with Johnny Cash toward the end of his career and really getting Johnny Cash to 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 find his roots, just like the Get Back Sessions was supposed to do for the Beatles. And uh, and he really helped Johnny Cash come back into the into the public eye and now be revered. It'd be nice if maybe Paul and Rick Rubin could get back together and see what would happen there. But, but what happens on this uh, this documentary, this Hulu special, it's called McCartney One Two Three, and Rick Rubin and Paul McCartney just talk about music and just talk about Beatles songs, and they play certain songs and parts of it, and Paul is reminiscing, and it is really insightful. And so, if you're a Beatles fan, you owe yourself to see that definitely. And I think, as I said before, if you're a Beatles fan, you owe yourself to get around a. a a television on Thanksgiving and see exactly what the Beatles were all about. But, but as I said, it, this is, it, it, it's Paul's opportunity. Um, and while we have him here, we, we should embrace both of them. You know, sadly, as I said before, you know, John uh, has not been here to, to give his two cents. And while he was very down on the Beatles for many years, I believe that he also with time would have turned around on that because it was his band and he did 
loved the Beatles, and he was proud of the Beatles, as much as his comments at the time when they broke up were very negative. In fact, I would argue that if John Lennon had lived even another 10 years, who knows health-wise, nobody knows, but let's say he lived another 10 years, or let's say he lived another 20 years, right? Or, but And let's hope he would be still alive today, but even if he lived another 30 years, I do believe that the Beatles would have gotten back together, maybe not as a band all the time, but I do believe that they probably would have gotten together at least one time on a stage again. And I say that because when he was killed, sadly, he was just back in the music game. He took five years off to raise his kid. And in 1980, just weeks before he was killed, he put out a new album and he was back in the studio. In fact, he, the night he got assassinated, he was coming back from the studio, already recording new music for another album. There was a plan for a tour. And that would have been in 1981. And I believe that in the 80s, John Lennon would have been huge. John Lennon would have thrived. Don't forget, yes, there were a lot of new bands like, uh, you know, Duran Duran and Culture Club and, and all these 80 bands. But in the 80s, it was really the 60s and 70s acts who were popular in their 20s, in the 70s and in the 60s, who who then became major mainstream artists and had the biggest albums of their careers in the 80s. Yes, there were the Thompson Twins and Howard Jones and, and you know, uh, Men at Work, all those 80s bands. Yes, but the, the bands that sold the most albums of the decade and of their careers were people like David Bowie and Bruce Springsteen and Prince and Michael Jackson and Genesis and Peter Gabriel. These are all bands and acts from the 60s and 70s. And, and, and I believe that John Lennon would have been huge in the 80s because the 80s technology-wise and cultural-wise finally caught up with John. What, what was happening in the 80s was what John was doing in the 60s and 70s. John was making videos and filming songs and putting out songs quickly and, uh, and, and, and videos of his songs. He was doing that. Now, here was a 24, to technology-wise, here was a 24-hour cable network that was showing these videos. I believe John would have been making videos and putting them out within weeks. He may have even been a VJ on MTV. But I think he would have embraced the video thing because he was already embracing it before it was a thing. And it was in MTV was was based in New York at the time. He would have probably been walking on the studio. He would have been in there all the time. The 80s, I believe, would have been very different if John Lennon was alive, because I believe that he would have been making an impact. He would have raised the uh, awareness of the Beatles in the 80s, which was not around. I believe that. He would have probably organized a, uh, a humanitarian concert like Live Aid long before 1985 and, and Bob Geldof did with Live Aid because he was doing that already in the 70s. And so was George Harrison. George Harrison actually started with the concert of Bangladesh, but John and Yoko were always doing, uh, were doing uh, you know, charity types of shows. 
I believe John Lennon would have put together some kind of a show on some type of charity. Maybe it would have been starvation in Ethiopia like Live Aid. May have been another cause. But I believe John, there would have been a, 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 a Live Aid type of, of worldwide broadcast show before 1985. And I believe John Lennon would have been behind it. I believe he would have just been a major force because, as I said before, the culture was now accepting of what the baby boomers were espousing in the 60s and 70s, and the technology was making what what John was doing more, uh, more urgent and more capable at that time. I think he would have taken advantage of both of those we would have seen a Beatle reunion in some way, and I think we would have seen John Lennon being a major, major musical force. So that's the great tragedy in my mind about his assassination, is that we were cheated out of that. So we'll never know what happens to it. But we do have Paul, and we do have Ringo. And so I would say if you have a chance to ever see them, perform. I saw Ringo a couple years ago perform. I saw Paul perform a few years ago too. I've seen them before in the past, but you know, take advantage of them. If you are a Beatle fan or if you're a music fan, if you're a history fan, take advantage of what they're putting out now. We're lucky that they're that they're still around and they can still share these stories. And we we're lucky that they are sharing something like this what I think is going to be just a a must see. Uh, kind of event so you know i can't say enough i'm a Beatle fan i'm excited i'm a music fan i'm excited um i want to see what it was like that other side of the Beatles. so you know while you're sitting there with your stomach all filled with your thanksgiving meal just unhook your your pants or put your stretchy pants on and um and have what could be the most satisfying meal of the entire Thanksgiving weekend. Enjoy your beetle feast. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Don't forget every Monday a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Send them a link. Send them a message that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 287. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. Peace and love. Peace and love.